practical issues. Loss of relationship, loneliness, right? You go back to seniors being sent to school. There's an element of grief in all of these things. Somebody has moved, right? Military, like you can go through all of these things. All of these things are grievous. They are hard. And you and I have to be able to deal with them. So if grief is going to be a part of our life, then how are we supposed to deal with it? Do we have an example, maybe an authority figure of all things life that we can look to? If there was ever in the past someone that you and I could look to as an example or an authority in everything that life has to offer, who would that person be? Gold stars. Jesus. He is the example. He is not only the example, but he is the authority. He is the, he is the, 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 there's so much difference in that. We've been going through Daniel, and Daniel is an example of wonderful things. Daniel is not the authority. Does that make sense? Jesus is an example. We watch his life, but he is also the authority. So everything that he does is in its timing. And not only is it right, but it is helpful for you and I in some way to figure out how that works and to apply it to our lives. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16 say this. You don't have to turn there. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with all our weaknesses, but one in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Chapter 12 would go on to say this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder, the perfecter, the author, and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that uh, you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Hebrews gives us a picture of Jesus and elevates him so very, very high. Even in the first couple chapters, the idea is Jesus is greater than angels. Like these powerful created beings that the Jewish people were very attached to had spent much of their history talking about these people that had showed up in their history, given them direction, fought their battles. And the writer of Hebrews says Jesus is more He is better, he is greater. He is the authority, every knee will bow uh, in heaven and on earth. Every angel knee will bow because he is no mere man. He is more than that. The answer to this question of if, uh, uh, should we grieve? Yes. If so, then how? The answer to that question is how would Jesus grieve? Does he grieve? Can you think of the stories in your mind right now as we've gone through the Gospels? Have you read them yourselves as you've heard other people preaching them? Can you remember those moments of his grief? Name me one. Lazarus, man, that's a good one. John 11, we go there first. Turn your Bible there. Name me another one. Oh, man. He grieves over Jerusalem. You remember that one? Jerusalem, Jerusalem. 
Got another one? In the Garden of Gethsemane. He grieves what he's getting ready to go through. Friends, Hebrews would tell you and I, you and I have a high priest. What does it mean that Jesus becomes our perfect high priest? It means that when you and I get to heaven, we will never look at him and say, you don't understand what it was like to go through this. Do you understand the power and the magnitude of that? No other God ever created by humankind. No other idol, no other demon that ever portrayed itself as an idol, as a God, small g, ever, ever could that be said of them. And that God has created this plan of salvation with our high priest understands everything you have ever gone through. Some of us here this past week has shed many tears. And your Savior understands every one. Some of you, as I look around this morning, and, and we've been here almost a decade now, serving, loving you people, we've gone through stuff together, and I remember your stories, and there was never a time when your tears were flowing and something was going on in your life that you could cry out to a God that didn't understand exactly what you were going through. Jesus took on human flesh. He come to this earth, he worked, he sweat, he bled, he cried, he was betrayed, he was broken, and he died. And in that, he becomes our perfect high priest. He wasn't made perfect between he and the Father. He was made our perfect high priest because everything we go through, he understands. Does that make sense? See, I've cried a lot of tears this week. Well, friends, John chapter 11 is your ticket this morning. Turn with me there. Verse 28 is where we'll start. What's the heading in your Bible? Mine says two words. Before we hit this, what's the shortest verse in Scripture? Oh, man, everybody loves to rattle that one off, right? It's almost like John 3, 16. It just feels good to at least know one verse. Even if it's John eleven thirty three, 33, right? Jesus wept. Boom, you got one. Take a second this morning as we read through it and just mentally unpack what is actually meant by those two words. Your God grieves. And as we read through this story this morning, the most beautiful piece to this, he doesn't grieve because of the death, because he's going to fix it. He grieves because you grieve. Their sadness brings his tears. That's the God you serve. He is not aloof or far off, he is close. And intimate. He binds the brokenhearted, the promise of Scripture. Your tears mean something. They mean something to you, and they mean something to the one that breathed everything into existence. That truth is unbelievable. He cares about your pain. And another piece this morning that's not in the notes is just the severity doesn't matter. Does it hurt you? It hurts him. 
Somebody hurt you, something said, grieve you, wound you, some arrow hit your heart, somebody say something that's stuck with you for years, like that's not somebody dying, why does it hurt so bad? The Lord of the universe cares. Read with me John 11. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. What's the beauty of this passage? Where do they run to? Who are they looking for? You and I would solve a lot of our problems if this was our first go-to. They're hurting They're grieving. They know who can fix it. Now listen, their faith had eyes. They saw Jesus work. And they're even going to say it in this passage. They don't have uh, quite as much breadth to their faith as you and I should have. But man, they know that when he's around, things change. And what's the sister say? If you'd just been here a couple days ago, Jesus. If you'd just been here. How much faith did they have? They had seen with their eyes, but it wasn't made complete yet. Jesus had not come yet into the village, but was still in a place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep. Friends, what are her friends doing with them right now? Grieving with them. They're grieving with them. The Jewish people do so much, knew so much more about that. Why? Because God commanded certain things. There was 30 days of grieving. I mean, man, that's a lot. Like Monday come and and the boss called and I had to go back to work. I got three days, two days, a day. I opened up the mailbox and guess what? The mortgage company don't care. There's, There's a real peace to how God expects us to deal with this with the way God delivered the message to the Jews, right? Straight to him, to this nation. This is how you're supposed to live. This is what I want you to go through. This is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to do it. Like it was very specific. Part of that was a grief process. God didn't look at them and say, get back in the field. Stuff's got to get done. 30 days. Take care of your heart. Take care of your soul. While you're going through this, you're going to have people accompanying you the whole time. Coming in to be a part of your life. They're going through this process now. Verse 32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was... And saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. So many, so many still think this today. If God had changed this, if God had done that, if God had done his job, this person wouldn't have happened, this wouldn't have happened, this story wouldn't have played out. These things are real. They are what you and I deal with constantly. And God answers the same way. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept, 1135. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Jesus weeps. Out of love, he weeps. Circumstances don't dictate his grief. Why do I say that? Because what is he going to do to the circumstances in about three minutes? He is going to wreck this thing. Like this funeral party is getting ready to go polar opposite. 
to the point where people are going to beg him not to do what he's getting ready to do. What's he say next? Roll the stone away. What's the rebuttal? Lord, he stinks. <laughs> Don't do it, Lord. Let's not. It's been four days. The idea in Jewish culture was the spirit has left the body. Like this, this miracle was on purpose. Why does Jesus wait a couple days? So that when he gets there, it's four days and not three. Why? Because Jewish thought said at three days, the spirit was still hovering around the body so that a miracle could be performed. So Jesus says, we'll go on day four. And then he says, oh, Lord, don't open that. He stinketh, right? Circumstances doesn't dictate his grief. He grieves because he feels your pain. He cries because he feels their pain. He doesn't cry because Lazarus is dead. He's going to fix that. The depth of that two-word verse is more than you and I will ever understand. I have told you before laughingly, there's no way in the world I would have been crying right now. I was like, all right, y'all get up, let's go. Right? Like typical dad fashion, don't cry, quit crying. Right? I reserve the right to continue to do that too. Sometimes they shouldn't be crying. Right? And you just got to divert their attention. You ever seen the dog whisperer? How he diverts the attention of the dog so that they stop barking, biting, whatever else they're doing. He'll like boot them and change them. You ever seen that guy? It's amazing. I do it with my kids. It was really effective when they were little. Right? Like, oh, what, you're crying? Oh, you scuffed your knee? Oh, okay, here, popsicle. And like, oh, it's all done. Right? Oh, there's your mommy. They run over there and everything's better. I reserve the right to tell them not to cry anymore. Right? That's not the case in life in general. Circumstances don't dictate his grief. Relationship does. He loves the one weeping, so he cannot help but enter into that moment. Jesus loves you when you're weeping, and he cannot help but enter into that moment. The God of the universe promised in Psalms that he loves you, and he cannot help but enter into your moment. He binds up the brokenhearted. What does he do to the proud? Shuns them. What does he do to the humble? draws near and these moments in life that wreck us break us make us cry what does that usually make us hopefully humble reminds us our limitations quickly it reminds us of not only the frailty of life but the frailty of our life it also reminds us how much we are actually able to carry god will never give you more than you can handle right or wrong Say that at a funeral. Say it at a funeral. God will absolutely give you more than you can handle. And he will do that so that you and I will find ourselves in the middle of his grace, knowing that his character is good, knowing that he is able, knowing that he is paying attention. And then when this process finishes, we will look back and say, Lord, I shouldn't have made it. You carried me. And what does he do with that? Well, 2 Corinthians says this. He takes that comfort you and I have, and he uses it to comfort other people. May the God of all comfort comfort us, and then as he comforts us in our affliction, we can comfort others who, if you don't show up, will get no comfort. If you don't show up, no one else in their life will understand how to grieve properly. No one else in their life will have a shoulder to cry on that will just sit there with them and grieve. And when the time is right, you could say, I've been here too. And the Lord loved me through it. 
Friends, sometimes the only way to get through something is to diligently seek out someone that has gone through it and made it. And most people will not ever do that because they're either too prideful or they're too worried about asking for help or they just don't want to impose. Death of a child is one of those moments. My grandmother lost three before she died. After the first one, she was never the same. Some griefs need other people that have been through it to help you walk through it. Had a spouse cheat on you? Trying to reconcile something like that? You better find another couple that made it. You better find somebody else that can look at you and say, Man, I went through that. It hurt like hell. I was angry. I was mad. I was furious. And let me tell you what the Lord did. As he bound my heart back together. As he loved on me in that moment. And then made it to where we can reconcile. You better find somebody that has gone through. That is biblical. And then what happens later? God help you five or ten years later. You know what you end up having to do? Grab that young couple. What happened? Who sinned? You can make it. Don't quit. The enemy wants to eat you up. He wants to rob your family. He wants to steal your children. Repent. You better find somebody that has gone through it. The God of the universe is drawn to your grief because you are crying, not because of your circumstances. That's a wonderful, wonderful hope. Sympathy would be the idea to grieve like a poor you. Empathy would be to grieve with. I understand how it feels. Our God can do both. He has sympathy on us. If he didn't, you and I would be in huge trouble. <laughs> he doesn't know what it's like to sin. Jesus knows what it's like to become sin. Jesus knows what it's like to be punished for sin. He doesn't know what it's like to commit the act. So he has to show sympathy on us. But then he can empathize with everything else. He knows what it's like to lose. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like as this world is poured out on someone. Look at Luke 19 with me. Luke 19, verse 41. And when he drew near to the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. They will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. In Luke chapter 19, what's the passage right before that? Scroll up about five verses. What part of Jesus' life are we at in this passage? What had they just done a little bit before this? Palm Sunday. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They had just crowned him king. And right out of that glory comes this grief. When Jesus looks at the city and he weeps. If you read that word in the Hebrew, it's not a cry. It's not a, right? It's not one of those like catch your breath and stop whining kind of thing. This is a wailing sob. Jesus sees into the future and he grieves for what's coming. He wails uncontrollably. 
Jesus grieves the broken world that we live in. The disaster it pours out and the losses it causes. You say, well, he can stop those things. He absolutely can and he absolutely will. But there are greater purposes to finish before every tear is wiped away. You say, what is that? Well, as long as we're here, the church is here, there's still somebody left to be saved. There's someone left that's going to be a believer that's going to be brought into the family of God. And how do we know that the tragedy that we are experiencing, not just this one, but anyone, if you and I tarry to 100, if we live to be 100, how do we know that the crisis we lived through is not going to be the thing that brings about the gospel in someone else's life? That's head knowledge you can't say in certain places. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's kind of like the Lord will not give you more than you can handle. That's head knowledge you can't repeat when the time is wrong. But it's something you and I can deal with now in the light of day and say God works these things together so that his kingdom grows and this person gets the gospel and this person is impacted by the life of that person and the one that is struggling is now the one that changes eternity because their life and their testimony has being used. Does that make sense? You and I don't have the right to say that can't happen. God has done it since the foundation of the world, and he did it most of all on the cross of Jesus Christ. If anybody has ever gone through something they shouldn't have had to go through, it was Jesus. And if there's ever been anything that had more good come out of it, the world will never know. It was that moment. The worst thing to happen in the world created the most good for the longest lasting time. He's still doing the same thing today. We cannot understand at all times. That is true. But we can trust his heart. Human made or just the condition of this world, God is attentive to both. Jesus is attentive to both. He has been begging them now for three years. Repent, repent, repent. They just crowned him king. And the very next passage of scripture is him looking at the city and saying, you didn't know the time of your visitation. And he's sobbing uncontrollably because he knows what Rome is going to do in 30 years. And he knows even after that what kind of hell is going to be poured out in war and trial and struggle and cancer. He sees it all and he longs for the day to wipe away every tear. But we're not there yet. What else grieves him? Our broken relationship with him grieves him. What is the problem here? It's not punishment. It's the problem is what the Jews didn't understand. Their relationship with God was broken. And because of that, punishment would come. But it's not the punishment that's the real problem. The Jewish nation could not comprehend that. They wanted a king that was going to separate them from Rome. They didn't get that. They got a king that was going to separate them from their own sin. They couldn't make that work in their minds, so they crucified him. They were children of Abraham. They didn't need a savior. Jesus weeps. Because of our broken relationship with him. 
Scroll over a couple pages, Luke 22, last passage this morning is this. Luke 22, 39 says, And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to this place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. The Lord sent back up. Friends, some of you this week have been that angel. Now, there may be some supernatural things playing out in the lives of these people, and there probably has to be in order to make it another day. But some of you this week, some of you in the last month, some of you have loved on people in our church that are going through hard times. Some of you in the next month will have to be that angel that shows up and ministers to someone that needs what you have to offer. A shoulder to cry on. That meal you're bringing. That 15 minutes you took out of your day just to stop by or that phone call that you made, the text message, the card that you sent, you may be that. Jesus needed it. How much more do you think your brothers and sisters need it? There was nobody strong enough or good enough to minister what he needed, though. An angel comes. An angel ministers to him, strengthening him. Verse 44, friends, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. As he prepares for what's next, he sees the road ahead, the separation from God, the Father, the pain that is coming, the trial, the beating, the mockery. He sees it all, the hell that is coming ahead, that separation from God for the only time in all of history, forward or backward, that son and father would be disconnected. That three-hour time period where the light of the world is snuffed out so that my sin and your sin could be paid. So that eventually, Revelation 21 says, he wipes away every tear so that passage could be fulfilled. He has to go to the cross. And in that agony of becoming our sin, of paying our debt, he grieves. The first two things we see him grieve other people. My last question, I think sometimes the idea of grief comes from not a selfish notion. Listen to me very carefully. I think it comes from a demonic notion. I think the enemy whispers that you and I shouldn't have to grieve. You should be stronger than that. Your faith should be better than that. This is really kind of childish. How about this one? God doesn't care about that. In light of all of Scripture, you and I still have a tendency to think those things. In light of just the stories we've read this morning, not to mention Job, not to mention Jacob, not to mention David. You know the Psalms, when you read through the Psalms and you read that broken heart, you know who wrote most of those? A warrior, an absolute stud, grieving. You're reading his journal. His heart hurts. He has needs. The God of heaven is the only one that can fulfill them. Listen, that agony is real. Do you think you and I can't grieve over personal things too? You get that phone call, something's going on in your life. This story, Jesus is getting ready to walk this road and he's going to walk it alone. And he's grieving that process. Friends, you picked up the phone call and you got a bad one. You could grieve. Something's been taken from you you didn't think was going to be taken. You can grieve. Grieve and you run to God with that pain. 
You go into his throne room with that pain and you say, Lord, help me. You've made certain promises, God. You want to know why? one of the reasons why you need to know the scripture? So you can use it in your prayer life. God, you promised. How powerful is it, parents, when your kid walks in and says, Hey, remember, you told me. Bum, 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 bum. Doesn't matter what it is, right? If they're four, it's Chuck E. Cheese. And if they're 18, it's a new car. But they remember, right? How powerful is it when they come in with that leverage of what you said? You told me if I did this, you would do that. You told me when this happened, this would happen. This has happened. Friends, one of the most powerful things about knowing the Word of God is you can do the same thing. In the throne room of God, you get to walk in boldly as a son or a daughter. I forgot who it was. Somebody made the comment that the only person brave enough to wake a king up in the middle of the night for a cup of water is a child. Their child. The only person with that much gumption, I need a drink of water, better go talk to dad. I'm going to go wake him up. The only person with that much gumption is a child. You and I have that kind of access. Can we grieve our circumstances? Are they grievous? Something wrong? Yes, you can. Is it selfish to mourn your own losses, the trials that you're going through? How about in Matthew 27 when you read Jesus on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is it wrong for Christ to plead that? Better not be wrong because if it is, you and I are in trouble. Our Savior can't be wrong. He can be an example. He can be the authority. We are going to grieve just like you're going to bleed. We have to do so properly. How do you and I do that? There's a couple of things I want you to think about as we wrap up this morning. You and I are going to grieve with what? We're going to grieve with heart and head. We're going to grieve with love and truth. What does that look like? You and I grieve with love when we grieve in community. Do you understand you are not meant to be alone? How many times I got to tell you? If you have separated yourself, if you find yourself separated from good community, you are in absolute trouble. You cannot be loved on, and you cannot love anyone else separated from good community. You cannot be cared for, and you you cannot carry anybody else's burden. You and I are not meant to be alone. You're going to love. You're going to grieve with heart. You're going to grieve with head. You're going to grieve in love. You're going to grieve in truth. In essence, you and I cannot live the Christian life outside of this protective mandate. I don't care what another preacher told you or what so-and-so that loves Jesus and has loved Jesus for 50 years but has never been part of a church. I don't care what they said to you. It doesn't match Scripture. You and I are required to be a part of the body. Why? When that phone call comes, you have someone to help. Or when my phone call comes, I have someone to call. Is a mandate of Scripture. It's not there to be trifled with. You and I are going to be connected with each other. We're going to be caring for the heart of those that are struggling, but we're also going to be connected properly to the heart of God and carrying the burdens around us to the one that can actually help them. See, you and I are lifting a portion of their burden. We're carrying it to the God of the universe that can help them through prayer. They're putting their arm around you and limping through life. The only reason they're going to make it that next mile is because you're there helping them. They're wounded and they need you. How are we to grieve? The heart lives in community. The head lives in conviction. Write that down. The heart lives in community. The head lives in conviction. What do I mean by that? Well, this is what I mean. The heart lives in the moment. 
We're living with all of these other people. We're loving them, trying to be the best we can. The head has to live in a theological message that we believe and a theological hope that we have. This is the difference between how you and I minister to people depending on what they're going through. You say, my life is good right now. Then you need to be understanding the theological message that we have. God is in control. His heart is good. He works all things together for them that love God and are called according to his glory. That's Romans 8, 28. And you're never going to believe it in the darkness. You're never going to believe it in the valley. You have to work it out now while your mind is clear. God is that true. That's a theological message. Revelation 21 would be Jesus is going to wipe away every tear. In the middle of the valley, that sounds impossible. That's why you have to make these theological things in your mind stick prior to those moments. Conviction is a true knowledge that impacts real life on its hardest days. That is conviction. What you and I believe, the convictions that we have, will impact the life that you and I are living on our hardest days. It is real knowledge that works there. We grieve with a complete picture of life. Christians really grieve. Jesus really grieved. We grieve with the whole picture. How can you and I wake up in the morning and love people properly and grieve with them And yet maintain hope because we see the whole picture. Sin, fallenness, brokenness. Corruption, redemption. Jesus out of the grave on that first resurrection Sunday. Jesus reigning supreme forevermore. Jesus wiping away every tear. These are the moments that you and I make our mind up on what is true. We grieve with a confidence in our hope to come. And as they come this morning to play, we grieve knowing our counselor lives within us and our Christ has gone before us. There is not a moment in some of these days that you are going to have the right answer to give. You're going to sit and you're going to love and you're going to cry. And that is the best possible thing you can do. There are other days training the kids in Awana, training them for Sunday school, that you're going to give people the theological tools to deal with these things when they go through them. For the longest time, when we started dealing with teens, we jumped right into the deep end of life, and we started talking about life. No Bible stories, no Jonah in a well. Like, what does Solomon think about life? That's where we started when we started with the teens, and we never let up. <laughs> Pedal to the metal. They're the same things with you all as adults. Why? Because you cannot stop life from coming. All you can do is be prepared for it when it comes. And that one of these moments is going to be our moment. Listen, if you and I dodged this week, I I did not know the family. I even did a funeral for another family of somebody I didn't know. And I hate doing that. The only reason I did that was to be of service to the people that I thought maybe we could minister to in the future. I don't do funerals for people I don't know. I don't like doing funerals for people I don't think had a Christian hope. Just going to be honest with you. It's uncomfortable. I dodged so much this week. Next week may be mine, though. And these truths will still be there. And they'll still be the heart of God, the hope of God, and the love of community, the love of Him, the conviction of my mind, the truths that I have been taught, the truths that I have taught, they're going to be the things that hold us together. If next week is mine, it may be yours, and we're going to love you, and we're going to go through it together. 
But you and I have to have the heart that's loving in community in the moment, and we have to have the head that loves what we've learned, that is attached to what we've learned, what we know is true, and the hope of what's coming. Jesus is going to wipe away every tear. And until that moment, you and I are not going to charge him with foolishness that he doesn't know what he's doing. These are not messages to be given in the heat of the moment. They're things you have to know going in. So that at least when the enemy's trying to blind you, you have something to grab a hold of, some foundation. This morning, if you need to come, you need to pray, you do that as they sing. If you need something, if you need access to something, you let us know.